This is Michael Osplink. Welcome to O Radio, where we explore individual and social transformation through collaborative action. I'm a psychotherapist with a transpersonal and somatic specialization. I'm also a transpartisan social entrepreneur and head instructor at SealFit's Unbeatable Mind Academy. Today's show is brought to you by Resilience Parenting, where martial arts instructor Chris and Holly Santillo <clears throat> excuse me, share the insights they have gained as teachers and parents. They offer positive alternatives to lecturing, bribing, and punishing, focusing instead on three pillars, learning, integrity, and service. You can learn more about their book and their work at resilienceparenting.info. Today's guest is Charlie Deist. Charlie is a writer and radio producer from the San Francisco Bay Area. He received his BA in economics from UC Berkeley in 2011, writing his undergraduate thesis on monetary policy, excuse me, during the Great Recession of 2007-2008. Fascinated by the wide-ranging effects of the economics, econo economy's boom and bust, Charlie began to study alternative economic and social models, including seasteading or homesteading on the high seas. His writing on sea farming and environmental economics have, featured, have been featured on bbc.com and in Radicus magazine. He's also been featured on KPFA, and routinely guest host a weekly AM radio program, The Bob Zadig Show. Charlie is passionate about the link between health of the land and health of the people that it nourishes. He's also the author of a new piece, A Natural Method for Vitality, Resilience, and Connecting to Your Deep Nature. Elemental Biohacking, Fire, Air, Water, and Earth. How you doing, Charlie? Hey, I'm doing well, Michael. It's good Thanks to see for you. having me on. Yeah, you're quite welcome. So before we get into a natural method, the piece that you wrote recently, um, how did you get into kind of natural living, natural health, and all the really interesting topics you, you delve into into your new, in your new paper? Yeah, so I, uh, I discovered this, this system that I know you're familiar with, and uh, we, we share uh, the interest in natural movement or MoveNet, and the natural method was a precursor to MoveNet. Around the early 1900s, there was a French naval officer named Georges Hébert who developed this system of practical exercises and physical fitness for the soldiers in the Navy. And it has basically spawned uh, a lot of spin-offs that people have taken in their own direction from parkour to MoveNet. Uh, but it's, it's basically about getting back to our ancestral roots when it comes to movement and thinking of fitness as something not that we need to do indoors at a gym, but something that we take outside into the open air. Uh, and so I discovered this as the kind of paleo equivalent of exercise at a time when I was dealing with some chronic fatigue, some mysterious health issues. And after my doctor told me that maybe I just kind of lost the will to live. Uh, so that's when I discovered what I think is really the kind of the secret to at least my own vitality, uh, and I think a lot of people will share this experience, um, just that there are these, these switches that are buried deeply in our genetics that can go dormant when we're not living with purpose, when we're not living in line with our full humanity. And a big part of that uh, connects to the outdoors, the, the environment where our ancestors spent so much of their time. So I'm a master level MoveNet trainer, and I teach natural movement, always outdoors in parks, uh, we do swimming here in the San Francisco Bay, and I'm just trying to help uh, my students, who are also my teachers, uh, overcome whatever strength and mobility issues are preventing them from living with purpose and achieving their mission. That's awesome. Um, and I have to assume you've recovered from whatever the diagnosis was originally? 
Right. It's yeah. I, uh, it, it kind of, you know, it, it, it fluctuates and there will be times that I'll notice. And so I want to talk about stress a lot because I think that stress is one of the, we have this paradoxical relationship with it where it can either make us sick if it's the wrong kind of stress, but I do still notice those old symptoms will flare up from time to time. If I, uh, if I find that I'm, that I have the wrong kinds of stress in my life. Uh, but usually the answer to that is just switching over to the right kinds of stress. And so I'm, I'm happy to, to report that for the most part that chronic fatigue or mono or whatever it was is basically in remission. Nice. Good for you. And I think it's important for our viewing and listening audience to understand that when you talk about natural movement as kind of a subset within nat a natural method, a much broader way of thinking about the world, even the natural movement piece of what you teach, uh, it might be a value to give a few minutes on that. It's not just exercise as we think of exercise. Can you speak a little bit about the MoveNet that you teach? And then we can kind of go broader into your natural movement article you wrote. Yeah, sure. So my protocol that I've used both to recover my own health uh, and, and teach other people is meant to operate outside of this whole kind of fitness industrial complex. And you've talked about the sick care system before. Uh, I think that using nature as, uh, as the coach, using nature as the gym uh, to achieve something like true fitness for the real world is what MoveNet is really about. Uh, being able to think and move in ways that are required by complex situations, not just pulling the weight up and down or getting your heart rate into a certain zone. Um, so I want to dispel that myth that fitness is just about exercising more or eating less. It's about looking underneath the hood and focusing on the quality of the movement and how that can influence our, our hormones, how it influences our epigenetics. And when we change our environment, when we change the demands that we're making on our body, it responds in ways that are pretty surprising and can be pretty dramatic. You know, it's interesting. I was just having a conversation yesterday, uh, Monday, excuse me, with my Rolfer, uh, Cosper Scafidi. And we're talking about that the, the science is now showing, for instance, that bones are hormone producing. Mm -hmm. you know, they're not just what we thought they used to be. There's a lot more complexity to them. And I just was thinking about the, some of the movements you just talked about, the complexity of the movements and how it would put pressure on, on the bones to do what they're intended to do. And, I, and then you said hormones and you know, the neurochemicals, how everything's interconnected. And if you do it properly, according to how nature, I hate to say designed us to, but designed us to, uh, you have a whole, whole positive Ben health benefits, and you're a prime example of that. So let me ask you, you know, you in your new piece, which I have right here, uh, a natural method for vitality, resilience, and connecting to your deep nature, elemental biohacking, fire, air, water, and earth. First, I'd like to ask you the elemental piece. It's really fascinating to me that you chose elements, fire, air, water, and earth to kind of to, to create categories for things you want to discuss. Why did you do it that way? Yeah, I've spent a lot of time reading and trying to synthesize different ways of framing this. And I think that I'm not a, a trained biologist or exercise physiologist. I actually managed to get through high school and college without taking a single chemistry class. So I know that those are not strictly uh, elements by the technical definition that a scientist would use. But I think that these categories are more primal. Uh, they're more, uh, we, we relate to nature through uh, these, these four kind of main elements. 
you could add, you know, ice, but that's a form of water. So, uh, and, and you could expand it out from there. There's wind, that's part of air. Uh, but these are the things that we encounter when we go outside. And when you said that we're designed in a certain way, I think that, yeah, there is this sort of tension um, where no one really knows how we all came to be exactly how we are. But I do think we can say with certainty that all of life is shaped around the, the forces of stress. So the word stress uh, comes from uh, a Latin root of strictia, which is about kind of to, to constrain and put pressure on. And so everything evolves within this uh, force field in a way of, of the, the basic physical forces, the, the gravitational forces and electromagnetic forces. We mainly encounter these not as scientists, but just as uh, everyday experimentalists in, in life. And we go outside and we feel the rays of the sun. That's a, a, an electromagnetic force. And we feel the earth. We feel our, uh, our, our bodies and our points of support on the earth. And that's gravity. It's also, uh, it's also how, we, how we learn to, to navigate the terrain is just through through kind of interacting with all of these different forces and stresses. But the modern world doesn't demand much of us in terms of movement. And we can pretty much sit on the couch and do the bare minimum, not really encountering these stresses. Uh, and that's taking a toll on our health because we, we did develop uh, within a certain range of stress. Yeah, and what strikes me listening to you talk is one, one way to think about it, and, and once again, I hate to use the word design as if there's a designer, we don't have to get into theology and metaphysics, but, you know, habitats do have an effect on us, it, you know, the, it, um, how we show up in the world physically, mentally, and emotionally, and it strikes me one way for us to kind of get into this conversation, because you, you, for instance, talk about shoes and the effects on feet which has an effect on the totality of the body, the knees, the back, the physical structure and stuff. Um, and, our, and although shoes are not a habitat, we, we do wear shoes to have an effect, protect us in certain ways from the habitats we used to live in. But you make an interesting point, which I'd like you to address that wearing protective something for your feet so you're protected against a particular habitat is different than what Madison Avenue is now selling us what we call shoes. Can you talk about that and then the effects what we now have called shoes has on us as human beings versus what we might have had at, in our ancestral days? Right. So, and I want to come out first and say I'm not anti-shoe. Uh, I think that there are plenty of shoes that, like you say, they, they are good for a certain job. If you're a construction worker, you want a steel-toed boot. If you're a basketball player, maybe you need a little more ankle support uh, and, and, and so on. Um, my, my uncle, uh, who actually was a, was a Navy SEAL, um, that then turned into kind of a motivational speaker who would do basketball tricks in front of school audiences and, and so on. He used to say, it's not about the shoes. And he would play this character of the, the, the sort of idiot who falls for all the advertising. He's decked out on all the gear, the, the safety goggles and the, the sweatpants, uh, the sweatsuit. And, uh, and the, the point was just, when we fall for this advertising and we think that Michael Jordan was a, a champion because of the shoes, we're reversing the, the real cause. You know, the shoes are popular because they were worn by someone who had, uh, you know, an, an inherent drive to, to be the greatest. And so when it comes to, yeah, Madison Avenue and all the advertising, they want to sell us a product and they want to say that the shoe is doing all the work. 
But the problem with the shoe that does the work, for example, of cushioning or giving you this arch support is that it, it prevents your foot's evolved architecture from doing what it was meant to do, which is feel the ground and adjust to the differences in the terrain and moderate how much stress you're putting, not just on your feet, but on all of the, the series of bones and joints leading up through your ankles, to your knees, to your hips. So we end up exacerbating injuries when we don't notice that, the, uh, that we're actually generating a lot of force on our knees uh, when we're wearing these shoes. We just don't, we don't feel it in our feet. Uh, so people end up, runners I think have the highest rates of knee injuries, much higher than people who are maybe even just sitting on the couch. And not to say that, that you shouldn't uh, run if you have a running habit, but there are ways that you can transition gradually to a more natural way of running. And uh, so I'm a big, big fan of, of barefoot shoes. Uh, I wear uh, shoes, called, the brand called Lems that looks normal. You don't have to go full toe shoe, but it basically is a zero drop shoe without the arch support. It kind of contours the foot so that it mimics the, the way that, that our ancestors inter interface with the terrain. That's one of the many things I appreciate about your writing is the transitional thinking. It's not like you go from using all the Madison Avenue gear and supplies and thinking and et cetera, et cetera, and then jettisoning it and assuming everything's going to be perfect. You know, you, I think you point out really well that it does take time to, jet, to transition to a more natural way of living, in this case, you know, shoes. <laughs> um, you know, because I have to imagine if you did not do it that way for some, you increase your likelihood of getting injured because your body has, is not used to running, you know, move very movement patterns, especially running and or walking without all the comfort and security and, and protection that you now have with, uh, with conventional shoes. Right. A little bit about the transition. Yeah. I think that one example here where we, know that in the NFL, they use these big, big padded helmets. And surprisingly, the, the rates of long-term uh, concussions and head injuries have gone up since they've increased the padding because it allows for a different style of play. And they're all hitting each other much harder. The, the players have gotten bigger. Um, and if you were to just suddenly take away the helmets and put them in the game, they would, you know, probably kill each other. Uh, but that, but, you know, the, the, the problem is the same as with the shoes, that you're masking uh, a longer term impact with a, with a protective mechanism. So it is a paradox. And I, when I switched over, I, I, I do love the feeling of just getting the feet on the grass. Anyone can do that. Uh, walk around uh, on, on an area where you know the terrain and, and then, you know, experiment with a, with a, with a, a slow run. There's a whole technique that MoveNet teaches, a barefoot running technique which is uh, striking more with the, the toe rather than the heel. And you find that you just tend to do that naturally. So that's how the earth, that, that first element in the guide is involved in teaching us how to actually run more efficiently. Uh, but then if you, if you are a runner and you enjoy running, you can experiment with something like a barefoot running shoe and maybe not go all the distance that you're used to going in, in regular shoes, but work up to it put them on for a, if you're doing five mile runs, put them on for a two or three mile run. See how you feel. Um, I'm still noticing that, you know, if I, uh, you know, if I try to do a really long run, uh, I just, I don't actually do the distance running that I used to. And there is a, a kind of a, a, a theory of the, the problem with chronic cardio and having a chronically elevated heart rate 
that trains out all of the natural variability of our hearts, which makes us potentially less adaptable. Uh, so it, it depends on your situation. And if, if you enjoy running, I wouldn't try to encourage you not to. I think that in this environment, you know, we, we want generally more movement, not less. Right on. So you mentioned that that's an earth element. Give me what, what's another element you'd like to talk about and some examples within that element of things that people can start thinking about differently. Yeah. So my favorite way to exercise lately has been swimming. And so let's go to water and move net aquatics is a, another set of techniques. There are a lot of parallels actually between the, the, the efficient swimming technique and the efficient running technique. And this is uh, not so much related to the, well, it, it is related to the elements because you want to use gravity to the maximum advantage when you're swimming or you're running. And when you generate for in, in the downstroke of, of, uh, of running, when, you, when you're pushing your, your leg down, you want your foot and your leg to act kind of like a spring. So you're, you're kind of charging a piston in a way on the way down. And then you're conserving momentum in this cycle, just kind of like a car engine. It's not a perfect uh, metaphor. We're not cars, but but conservation of momentum and using the, the, the forces of gravity to our advantage. Same thing when you're swimming, you sort of, you know, you, you put your arm forward and then you just, you let it just fall through the water. You're not pulling the water. You can't really fight against the water. It's much more powerful than you. And if you try to fight it, it it's gonna win every time. But the, the, what I focus on in the guide with water is mainly the idea of cold exposure and training your body to get used to the cold uh, by using mindfulness techniques and breathing to overcome the body's natural reaction, which is to just tense up, your diaphragm contracts, and you go into a mild form of shock. But if you can overcome that initial resistance and keep delivering oxygen to your blood vessels, uh, what, what our bodies are smart. So they know to, to contract certain blood vessels, pr primarily in the extremities, in order to keep blood flowing to the vital organs. And when we get out of the water and we start to warm up, our body still thinks that we're gonna die because we've just been in this form of shock. So it doesn't relax the, the blood vessels in the extremities and it takes a while. But the more you train this, uh, the more you're working out your blood vessels, making them more flexible. So it's deeper than just uh, a cardiovascular workout or a resistance training, training your muscles. It's going deeper into our body uh, and, and awakening that, that, uh, that kind of primal uh, intelligence that, that we don't use very often and that the fitness industrial complex doesn't talk about at all because it's all about just you know, getting bigger biceps or, uh, or a, a lower resting heart rate, which are superficial metrics for the, the true goal, which should be fitness. Uh, and I love the fact that you brought in a founding father. <laughs> into that section. You wanna share with us uh, what good old Ben did as a, a daily exercise? Yeah, Ben Franklin was, uh, you know, we know him as the, the contrarian inventor and in line with his, his brand, he had a practice of every day spending 20 or 30 minutes uh, in, his, in his birthday suit. He would just walk around his house naked and he called it air bathing. And it's the same principle where the, the capillaries, uh, especially the ones close to your skin, um, they kind of tense up, but, but when, we, when we adapt to it it, um, it, it develops this resilience. And he did it, he called it air bathing. I think that there is this hygienic element 
that Heber also talks about in his kind of textbook on, on practical uh, fitness. He had his recruits go out and always work, uh, work out in open air, take the shirt off, just in bo boxer shorts sometimes only. And at the end of that, you would uh, take a shower and get the sweat off for, for hygiene reasons. Uh, but, but just being in the air also, I think, has an effect on our mood a little bit. And you can think of the, the clothes that we wear as our sort of cotton fetters. Uh, and occasionally being, being free of these fetters uh, reminds us that we, you know, we, we, where we come from. And, uh, and clothes, again, a, a great technology that I'm not against. I wear clothes. I'm wearing clothes right now. But, uh, but it's, they're not the end all be all. So obviously we want people to read a natural method, which where they can, where can they find your, your paper? So right now I'm giving it away to my email subscribers and I can give you a link, especially for your audience. Uh, it's, it's a, a PDF. It's about 20 pages and it, it has, like you say, it, it has for each section, there's kind of a transitioning uh, section at the end where it talks about if you're just getting started with this, what you can do as the, the first step and then what are subsequent steps that you can take. So when it comes to cold exposure, I wouldn't recommend necessarily going straight for the, the you know, 20 minute ice bath. And I actually don't even, I don't do the ice baths myself. I don't have immediate access to a, a tub for that and ice is expensive. I, my whole ethos actually with, uh, with a natural method is trying to depend as much as possible on things that are just freely available. So the sunlight, the air that we breathe, and in my neck of the woods, we've got the, the San Francisco Bay, which is a great place to go swimming uh, or just kind of sit in the water for a little while and let your body adapt. Working up to it gradually, you can take a 15 second cold shower uh, and then gradually ramp that up. But people who know Wim Hof will, will know that he's kind of the inspiration for a lot of the section on, uh, on water and on cold exposure. And you can go deeper with, with the videos that he has uh, talking about how to do the breathing exercises in different ways. But, um, but yeah, the, to the extent that you can find places, whether it's parks in your area or lakes, uh, creeks, anywhere that you can go out and connect to nature, I think that's where the, the greatest healing effects come from. And you might learn uh, something about your own nature that, that you didn't know before. So we're definitely going to include a link in the show notes so people can check out the PDF. I think it's a really great read. I want to encourage people to, to check it out and read it and practice all the things that you recommend to folks. Um, now, you also mentioned that you're a trainer, a master trainer for MoveNet. If, if folks are interested in working with you, how might they find you to work with you in the San Francisco Bay Area? I'm in the directory on the MoveNet.com website, and I also have my own website, which is just anaturalmethod.com. I'm not claiming that it's the only natural method, but it's it's uh, it's a method that you might find uh, you might find it resonates with you. And um, you can email me. I'm at c h uh, diced. Last name is d e i s t at gmail.com. And um, I'm always happy to to work with new clients. Or they can come check out the the free meetup group, which meets about every other week. And I work with uh, some other leaders of that group to to just guide people in the uh, the light, gentle flows, plus some of the more, I don't want to say extreme, but you do, this system is about 
reintroducing stress at the appropriate dose in order to, to get stronger. And ultimately, it's, it's toward the goal of trying to be more, more vital, more useful to the people around you. That was a big plank of, of the Hibertism, Hibertisma, or I don't know how, how they say it in French. <laughs> Hibert's protocol, and it's been carried on into the MoveNet philosophy by uh, Erwan Lacour. And of course, we know you're on Twitter as well. Uh, that's where I follow you, and that's how we originally connected. How can people find you on Twitter? Same as the email, it's chdiced. And uh, yeah, I, I'm not too active on Twitter, but, but I, I do check it. And, and so that's one, one way to, to sort of see what other things I dabble in and excuse any weird, uh, weird jokes or, or memes that I might share from my other interests there. But uh, I'll, I'll, you can also look out for a, a video series that I'm doing with the Seasteading Institute right now on cooking with seafood. And, and uh, seafood is a, a very important part of a, a primal diet, underrated perhaps, but sometimes you know, seaweed or oysters are not always the most palatable things. So I'm doing a cooking show on how to make these things more palatable. And so you can, can check that out. That'll be at the Seasteading website. And wow. I'll sure to link to it on Twitter. So that's very cool. And one, uh, let me invite you back now because I'd love to have you come back and talk about your seasteading work and perhaps more, more about this uh, show that you're putting together. Um, and just in terms of oysters, that's pretty much my, my lunch every day. Mm, yeah. Oysters and sardines, actually. So, Can't beat cool. it. Yeah, yeah. I could say, you know, hobo sushi. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Well, uh, Charlie, uh, great to see you. Thank you for giving us a quick peek into a natural method for vitality, resilience, and connecting to your deep nature, elemental biohacking, fire, air, water, and earth. It's uh, good to see you, and uh, look forward to having you back on to talk about your seasteading work, if that's cool with you. Likewise. We'll, we'll also get into the, uh, the enigmatic Dr. Jack Cruz, who uh, also talks about seafood and sunlight, which is a whole can of worms that, that would take yeah, that, that would take a whole separate conversation, but I, I look forward to it whenever we, whenever we get to it. Same here. Have a great rest of your day, Charlie. All right. Talk to you later, Michael.